And ladies and gentlemen, he's one of the all-time greats, my buddy, Mr. John Wayne. You're listening to the John Wayne Gritcast with me, Ethan Wayne. The hell I was We're talking all about the life and legacy of my father. John Wayne. Mr. John Wayne. John Wayne is the United States of America. Slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about our podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I listened to it. I I, uh, I heard um, Centiles, uh, Dr. Centiles, uh, uh, you know, great cast. And I don't know if I'm as interesting as her, but. Uh. <laughs> I was, she, she kind of like, she took me back because one, she's, you know, she's very attractive and she's very outgoing and she's very bold and dynamic and, you know, just made me feel like kind of like an idiot for a little while. She's she's a she's a super super smart person for sure. Yeah, she was she was great to have on, and, and I, I'm glad to have the relationship. So I, I'd like to introduce people to you, and I want to make sure I get this right. But Dr. Dan Nelson is a John Wayne alumni fellow, a board certified surgical oncologist, and an active duty service member. Yes. So that is correct. Um, obviously, this podcast is is about John Wayne and and all things that fl- have flowed from John Wayne. And I thought you'd be a great person to sort of tell us a little bit about what the John Wayne Fellowship is to, to, to those who are in cancer, because he's, he's known pretty well in cancer, but not so much to the world at large. Yeah, so I mean, I, obviously, you know, I mean, it's got a, a huge, um, a huge, huge amount of history associated with the, you know, with the, with the fellowship program and the institution and, um, uh, you know, that's, uh, definitely over, what is it? 40 years now? Yeah. Yeah. 40 years now. So, I mean, quite the legacy of training surgical oncology fellows and, uh, doing, um, you know, practice changing research, um, those kinds of things. Um, so, I mean, certainly everyone within the field of surgical oncology is aware of the, you know, of, uh, of the program and the Institute and, uh, all the contributions they've, uh, you know, made to, to cancer care, for sure. And as a sort of as a young doctor, you know, as you're going through your training, um, I think you started at Arizona State, got your bachelor's, and then yep. off to uh, Des Moines University mm-hmm. Medical School. Yep, yeah, a small private school in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, spent four years there for medical school, and then um, and then we moved to uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, uh, where Madigan Army Medical Center is. That's where I did my general surgery residency training. And then, like, how did how did John Wayne come on your radar? How did you decide to? Yeah, I mean, so um, you know, I guess I take this you know kind of for granted. Um, you know, when I was going through residency training. Um, MSLT1 had just been published, uh, which was looking at uh, sentinel lymph node biopsy and melanoma. And then towards the end of my residency, uh, um, Dr. Giuliano's uh, Z11 trial got published, which was uh, looking at, um, you know, uh, uh, patient selection for not performing axillary dissection for breast cancer. So both of those those um, studies were, you know, practice changing, and they were discussed in our journal clubs during residency training and stuff. And so I was well aware of the John Wayne Cancer Institute just because those were two huge trials that came that were published, you know, during uh, during my training. And that attracted you to the program, and you submitted and got a match. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's um, 
so, so I went through the match. Um, I can't say that I, I quite understand the, the whole process. It's pretty complicated. But, um, you know, at the time when I applied, there's, um, there was about 20 programs, felt like surgical oncology fellowship programs. Um, I knew I wanted to do surgical oncology when I finished my, my general surgery residency training. Um, and, you know, the surgical oncology fellowship programs that, you know, they require you to have completed, uh, you know, medical school and to have completed a general surgery residency. And then, you know, they're looking for, for something in the applicant. Each program is kind of looking for something in the applicant and it varies, you know, program to program. Um, in general, they're, they're kind of looking at your body of work, um, you know, research publications, scholastic achievements, letters of recommendation, those kind of things. And they're trying to figure out who you are um, and whether you're a good fit for their program. And then you are looking at, you know, what that program's resources are and uh, case volume and case complexity. And so the two of you, the, the programs and yourself are trying to find a good match where, you know, they can, um, you know, uh, accomplish each other's goals, you know, mm. um, but it's quite a process for sure. And then, when you're done with the fellowship program, or it, it's it's a general, so you're doing all different types of surgeries, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so just for like you know the general listener, um, you know, so general surgery training is basically kind of all encompassing, right? So for six years, you do uh, five to six years, you do specialized training and. Uh, you know, gastrointestinal surgery and trauma surgery and vascular surgery, and um, you kind of get the full breadth of, of that. And then there's all different types of fellowship, but surgical oncology in, you know, in particular, uh, basically kind of encompasses uh, a group of solid tumors. So it would be, you know, endocrine, so thyroid, parathyroid, adrenal gland, uh, gastrointestinal tract, which is everything from the mouth to the, you know, anus, esophagus to anus, um, the uh, hepatobiliary and pancreas tracts, so the liver, biliary tract, and pancreas, um, and then uh, uh, solid tumors of the skin, soft tissue, breast, those kinds of things. And so, yeah, during your additional two years of training in surgical oncology fellowship, you're getting specialized training in cancer surgery and then the management of cancer patients. I see. I see. And then does somebody maybe specialize in one type of surgery once they go through a fellowship program like that? Like, will they decide I'm just doing breast, or I'm just doing melanoma? Yeah, well, for sure. I, I think, um, you know, with... That's where your research interest lies or because that's where the, the interest in surgical procedures lies? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it's all of it. I think it's multifactorial. I mean, you have definitely kind of the clinical interest. So you may have uh, you may have particular interest in the in the types of surgery being performed, right? Uh, you may have specific research interests, right? Trying to advance um, you know diagnosis and treatment of a specific type of cancer. Um, and the other thing is is that obviously you know cancer is the field of cancer and cancer surgery is is ever expanding. So to be a broad general surgical oncologist is, can be very challenging because you're trying to stay up to date on a wide breadth of, of some solid tumor pathology, right? right? And so I think sometimes out of necessity, we 
further subspecialize just so that we can, you know, maintain expertise in one particular field. Sure. And, and I do think in general, a lot of people don't realize like how broad that, you know, if you're a cancer surgeon, there's so many different types of, of surgeries and it. it's so, it can be very, it, it is very specific to each issue that you guys help people through. So uh, thank you for taking us through that lesson. And, and I forgot to mention um, what your position is now. In no, the that's okay. And yeah, so thank you yeah, for so, your service, Dan. Yeah, no, my pleasure, my pleasure. Um, yeah, so I'm a I'm an active duty lieutenant colonel. Um, I'm stationed at uh, Fort Bliss at um, William Beaumont Army Medical Center, which is in El Paso, Texas. Um, and uh, I'm an associate professor of surgery at the Uniform Services University, which is our our military medical school. It's like the West Point of medical schools in 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 uh, Bethesda, Maryland. Um, and so, you know, kind of a couple of hats there, but, uh, right now I'm stationed in El Paso, Texas, and I'm, I'm one of our surgical oncologists here. And is Fort Bliss living up to its name? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, El Paso is a, is a great town. Um, it really is. It's, uh, well, first of all, I mean, I love living in Texas. This is my first time in Texas. I've lived all over. So I've lived in the Midwest and the Pacific Northwest and beautiful Southern California. Uh, but Texas is amazing. And um, El Paso is a great town, a really good community. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've definitely enjoyed it here for sure. I agree. I, I have a, another good friend in El Paso who I've known, you know, gosh, since maybe 1980. And uh, he has a Learjet operation out there. And so oh, nice. I talk to him all the time and, and stop by any chance I get. But I was looking up some interesting facts on Fort Bliss that it's the largest a block of land that that is in uh, as a military base. I think it's over a million acres, around a million acres, and that they can actually connect to White Sands and a couple other ones to make it even larger. So it's a massive, yeah. massive place. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I also saw a bunch of the new infrastructure. You know, I watched some YouTube videos on it. It's pretty interesting. I mean, what a massive complex, and it looks like you have really nice facilities there. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, obviously, listeners can't see it, but this is our new hospital that just got built uh, out on uh, the east side of the base. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I, I hide it, but we have this beautiful, this is in the front of the uh, hospital, this, this uh, iron artwork of an eagle. And uh, you can see that the, the beak of the eagle is made of additional birds. Oh, um, so oh. it's like, yeah, so it's like eagles going up along the beak. It's beautiful at night. Oh. Yeah, it looks nice. And we've been in Texas a lot. I've been in Texas a lot this year. We, um, we built a museum called John Wayne and American Experience in the Fort Worth Stockyards. So I hope we can have you guys come tour and visit that. We also have a very nice store there. Yeah. So we've been spending yeah. a, a lot of time uh, going back and forth. What, um, where did you start? What, wh where'd you grow up? So I was, I was actually born in Santa Monica. Um, oh my God. My, yeah, it was kind of a full circle kind of thing. I mean, I'll tell you, if, if there was one moment with, that made me, uh, you know, uh, rank John Wayne as high as it was for me, it was, uh, you know, I, I had just spent a year uh, on a overseas hardship tour in Seoul, South Korea. So I was in Seoul for a year uh, without my family and uh, was flying back to the States to do my interviews. And, uh, you know, they took us out to uh, Ocean 
drive and had dinner uh, just off the Santa Monica Pier. And I'm just sitting there at dinner, looking at the Santa Monica Pier and thinking like, this would be an amazing place to spend two years with my family after having been away a year. Um, but uh, yeah, if, you know, it kind of felt full circle. But uh, yeah, so I, I was born in Santa Monica. Uh, my mom was a critical care nurse. She worked at the, the VA hospital there. And then uh, Santa Monica General, which I think is like now a UCLA like orthopedic hospital. I see. And then we moved, uh, when I was a toddler, uh, we moved to Phoenix. And so I was um, raised in Phoenix. Oh, wow. My dog's about to knock over the computer. Sorry. <laughs> Katie, don't worry about that. Is, uh, that the same, is that the same dog that was there when I, when I was there? Uh, how long's it been? This dog's five and a half. Yeah, I think I, I think he would would have been a puppy. Like, uh, yeah, I remember seeing it at the uh, office in Orange County. Yeah, oh, I love that dog. He's <laughs> there, but he's finally slowing down. And uh, since COVID, we've all gone remote, so now it's you know we spend even more time together. So he's been great. We'll be. I almost drove through El Paso. I ended up going. I drove to Texas a few weeks ago, and we ended up going up to uh, Southern Colorado and into New Mexico, and then down to Amarillo and across. Oh, nice. Um, but I was, I was going to come back to El Paso and then something else happened that I didn't, I didn't make it. But, um, so you, you started in Santa Monica, you ended up back there for your fellowship training. And then, uh, another thing that I thought was pretty interesting is that you've been gone, you were deployed and I don't know if you're allowed to talk about that. Or... Yeah, I, obviously I have to be, uh, careful, uh, talking about those kind of things, but yeah, I've, I've, I've done two combat tours, uh, one to Afghanistan in, uh, 19 in 2019 and then another to Iraq in, um, uh, 21. I was gone for half of this year. And so as a, as you know, your, your high, high level specialist doctor, so when you go over there, are you, are you dealing with uh, like trauma? Are you dealing with cancer patients? Are you dealing with only servicemen? Or are you dealing with people in the local communities? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, this is part of the, you know, the, the multiple hats, right, that we wear as uh, active duty physicians. Uh, so I'm always, always a, you know, an army surgeon first. And uh, when I'm deployed, I'm a, I'm a trauma surgeon. I see. And, um, you know, so... Uh, you know, we do, obviously, during general surgery residency training, uh, we do a ton of, of trauma. And then, um, and then throughout our, you know, professional careers or staff careers, uh, we are constantly doing, um, you know, uh, maintenance, you know, education maintenance and competency training to make sure that even if we've subspecialized into you know, surgical oncology or vascular surgery or uh, minimally invasive surgery that we're still, you know, adept at taking care of trauma patients. So, um, you know, that's a critical skill set that we have to maintain, you know, regardless of additional subspecialties. Wow. And how long would you be gone on a deployment? It varies. Uh, it depends on, you know, who we're deploying with and, and uh, what the mission is, but anywhere from three months to six months, typically for, for, a, for a general surgeon. And is, it, is there, uh, the communications are obviously pretty good in, in this day and age. So can you call home and Skype or Zoom or? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it really is, you know, amazing. We kind of take it for granted. I mean, when my dad was in Vietnam, it was all, you know, writing letters and would take oh, yeah. weeks, of, weeks and weeks to get there. 
but um, uh, you know, for me, I can, you know, call on Wi-Fi and FaceTime and I started a podcast on my, during my last deployment. Oh, really? oh, <laughs> yeah. cool. Is that still out there? Yeah, it's um, so it's uh, from the Society of Surgery, the elementary track. Um, so it's a gastrointestinal society. And um, we do a podcast called Sound Bites, where we um, interview authors of recent publications in the Journal of Gastrointestinal Surgery. So me and my, my partner, uh, Jessica Zaman, her and I would uh, basically do what we're doing right now, FaceTime with, a, with an author of a recent publication and ask them questions about the article. And, Did um, that come up because there were a lot of gastrointestinal issues when you're overseas in a, a different environment like that? Or just no, it's just, uh, you know, it's, you know, when you're not uh, taking care of the soldiers, you, you fill the time with other things and um, whether it's doing research or, uh, you know, other academic things back home, you still try to stay connected. And this was, uh, this was a way to, you know, stay connected, engaged with, uh, with things going on back home too. That's pretty good. I worked in India in 90, like three or four, I don't, maybe 92, 91 early 90s and I guess it was before mobile phones because I would have to go from where we were staying into the little town write down the number hand it to a guy in like a little storefront you know people would be making photos There's one phone call on his desk and he'd hook you up on a phone call and I'd call home blah blah blah, blah hang up and then you're out of touch for <laughs> then you go back to that little store so it's it's amazing like what that mobile thing has done and I remember oh, yeah. somebody coming, somebody came to the office and they're like, we've got a thing where you can pay with your phone. And I'm like, why would I, why would I ever want to pay with my phone? Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to today. And right. It, uh, yeah, that's interesting. And then do you, um, do you service like local communities when you guys are over there? Is it um, sometimes it, it all depends on you know the current environment sure. um, yeah but uh, yeah humanity uh, human humanitarian work is is uh, you know can be an important part of the mission it all depends all right well again thanks for all you do that's uh, can't be easy to disappear for three to six months at a time and go to a strange land yeah it's but it you know it's um you know it's uh it's all life experiences and um you know incredibly rewarding and uh you know i wouldn't i wouldn't change it for anything it's uh, it's been an important part of my life is there um is there any sort of i don't know is there one lesson or one thing that you learned going through that fellowship program that sort of stuck with you yeah um i mean i think that's a that's a great question i mean obviously you learn a ton from um you know, just the daily education and, uh, you know, the um, broad breadth of pathology that you see and the, you know, all the different patients and from different walks of life and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of lessons. I'd, I'd say the biggest thing that I learned from, from John Wayne was really about um, collaboration, you know, um, you know, whether it was collaborating with Coat Fellows or my, uh, with alumni you know, that had graduated from years prior to me. Um, there were so many people in our, in the community in Los Angeles and Orange County that uh, contributed to our education as fellows. Um, 
collaboration with biostatisticians for, for research. Um, you know, I think I came away understanding that collaboration is really kind of a false, uh, a force multiplier. Um, you can accomplish, you know, so much more and have, you know, more meaningful impact through collaboration than, than any one individual could ever, you know, accomplish on their own. Wow. So. Awesome. Yeah, I also heard that your wife gave you a special graduation gift. Oh my gosh. From, from fellowship. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We're talking three, you were talking four years ago <laughs> and you're making me remember a gift. Uh, well, it's, it's got a John Wayne connection. Um, well, are you talking about my, my sign? Yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly. Yeah. So my, the sign I got, um, is the, the quote, um, you know, courage is uh, being scared to death, but sidling up anyways. Yeah. But she gives me tons. She gives me tons of gifts. I, I, I got to show you this. You should see this one. I'm, I'm going to change my, my background because you see the hospital right now, but you'll love this. Um, she got me this a couple of years ago because I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan. You know, I'm kind of a, oh, a nerd when it, yeah, I bet. The older I get, the bigger fan I become. <laughs> But uh, I love this. So this is this is my office at home, and if you oh, can see if you can see up there, yeah, yeah. So it's from it's from the Searchers. Yes, it's a yeah. Cool, that's one of my favorite photos. Yeah. So you got Monument Valley in the background, and yeah. So that's up in my office. Yeah. But she all kinds of stuff like that. All right. Well, we'll make sure you stay. Um, you, you don't run out of John Wayne stuff. Um, <laughs> I love it. Uh, I, and I was also going to let you know, if you ever do get over to Fort Worth, um, you know, the, the exhibit takes you through my father's life, like birth to death, but it's not just professional, it's personal and professional and business and recreational and other business interests. And obviously the, you know, he has that film legacy, but he also has now a legacy in um, helping people through cancer. And uh, the last room that you go through is actually a uh, a John Wayne Cancer Foundation room and, and all your names are listed in the in the big museum we've got a huge wall with all his list of credits and then there's also a wall with the list of all the graduates from the John Wayne Fellowship Program. That's uh, awesome. It seems to be very impactful and, and people like it, appreciate it. And our, our program's expanded, we've expanded with UCI and uh, we're also expanding with Texas Tech so we'll be out your way soon. Uh, That's awesome. That's good. That's great news. We're happy about that. I think what else I was going to ask you about here. Um, are you are you working on any research currently? Any specific research? Yeah, always kind of. Um, uh, I know you're working on it because we're participating with you a little bit. Happy yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, Dan, thank you for that. Um, you know, that was a, such a tremendous honor, actually. I mean, to um for you guys to to help out in that way and contribute that way i mean um you know i think it, it's important to recognize that uh obviously like you know in in the research we do um you know we're obviously we're trying to make headway in uh treating you know diagnosing um you know cancer earlier and uh have more successful treatments all those kinds of things but research really has uh, impact in not only for the patient and the administration of care and all those kind of things, but it has impact also in like the development of our trainees. 
which I think is an under appreciated or under recognized value of research. So, you know, as you're going through, just like when you're going under, you know, going through undergraduate school, right? You're in college and you're taking a variety of classes and you're trying to find what you're interested in, what you're going to major in, what you're going to turn into a career, those kind of things. The same thing goes on during residency. You know, somebody's chosen to go into general surgery, but there's still an immense field of which to, you know, hone in on that practice and develop, you know, a passion for something, right? And so research is, is a, a tremendous opportunity for our trainees to fall in love with a topic and, and you know, um, develop a passion for it. And then, and then they get in, you know, they get involved just like I did, right? And they want to do surgical oncology and they want to subspecialize and they want to, you know, uh, come up with novel, you know, diagnoses and treatments for, for cancer patients. And that opens up the, you know, the next, you know, big thing. And so, you know, part of it for me, part of the passion is, yeah, I come up with questions that I, that I want to answer. Um, but I also, uh, really think it's important to encourage our trainees to to do participate in research and and um you know see if there's something within that field that they're passionate about um so i'm very active at william beaumont with our residents in doing research uh, we have a, a bunch of uh, abstracts that just got accepted this season at, at different meetings and things and uh, definitely um the you know the foundation's grant helped us to be able to do that um, so I'm particularly, you know, right now, I think probably the two biggest things, um, that I'm interested in is, uh, kind of looking at, um, operative standards. So critical aspects of, you know, the, the tech, the technical aspects of cancer surgery and how those impact outcomes, whether it's, you know, uh, ensuring, you know, negative margins during a resection or procuring enough, you know, the, a specific number of lymph nodes, those kind of things. How do those impact outcomes? Um, and what kind of, what are the trends of people adhering to those operative standards? I think is a really important aspect of research right now. Um, and same with like uh, adherence to guideline recommended therapy, right? So we have national guidelines that kind of say that if, you know, a patient has this solid tumor, this stage, this is, this is the, you know, um, types of treatment they should get and looking at, uh, you know, what are the trends across the country of people actually receiving that recommended care? Um, and what are the nuances that are associated with receiving those care? You know, like demographic things, disparities associated with receiving, you know, those, those care, so um, that's, or, you know, dissecting big data, like getting all the information and looking at what's right. What's happening. Yeah, you know it's interesting that you and I can have the same kind of cancer, get the same kind of treatment, and it may work on you and it may not work on me, right? Yeah. So, so does it? You get into that sort of thing as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's a it's a little bit harder. Um, you know, so it's a little bit harder to do that with big data um, because a lot of that molecular stuff, which is which is definitely a huge field. Dr. Santil talked about that with you um, on a previous cast. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of that data isn't available in, in big data, you know, sources, you know, using like large national administrative data sets and those kind of things. I see. 
but what we can what we can study and I think is really important is you know what kind of factors are involved with maybe you getting a different treatment than me right yeah and and what drives that you know what happens you know if if you go to one one cancer center and I go to you know uh, another cancer center you know what are the driving factors for us receiving different therapies um, despite similar presentations and um, you know understanding you know trying to kind of uh, retroactively understand the thought process that may be going into that decision making, I think is critical. So. Hi, it's, uh, it's heavy stuff. Um, so th the things that excite you about cancer research right now are looking at those major trends. Yeah, I mean, all of it, right, is exciting. Right, we have um, improving the understanding of the disease, catching cancers earlier, uh, improving the success of the treatments that we give. How are things um, like, um, like blood tests? You know, I remember back in the day, I don't know if it was Armand or, or Don Morton, they were talking about, you know, early detection in a, in a blood test. And I've read something about liquid biopsies, mm -hmm. how this may be a way to detect things early. Is that happening now? Yeah, it's getting there. For sure. I mean, there's, you know, definitely certain types of cancers. Uh, there's more and more data being published that's, uh, that's showing that, um, you know, for particularly for like uh, surveillance, um, you know, it's becoming uh, more in vogue. Um, I think that there's, you know, they're still trying to figure out the best way to do it and, uh, you know, what particular cancers and what molecular markers to be looking for. Uh, but it's, it's definitely getting there. Huh. Yeah. But I would say, I would say, I mean, all of, all of cancer research like excites me. Right. But if, uh, but I'd say the most important thing for me, the thing that drives my questions and stuff, um, in our own projects, you know, is, is really just like, how can we do better as surgeons? Right. And whether that's only in, in my institution or expanding to, you know, regional or national, how can we improve to do better for our patients? In, in, in any way, that's the most exciting thing. And I feel like, you know, my dad has that legacy because he's, he's sort of done that where, you know, he's turned out just because he spoke words, you know, as he was dying and people listened and some people got behind it. You know, there's over 200 or around 200 surgical specialists like you out there in the world. So, you know, if you, if you take a map of the United States, if there's only three over on the West Coast and, you know, three over on the East Coast, there's a whole bunch of land there that's not being serviced. And now as, as I look at, at the dots of the John Wayne Alumni Fellows going across the United States, it, you know, it gives me a good feeling. I feel like, gosh, this is, this is terrific that, that he's got this legacy too. He's bringing people like you uh, out that can help others who wouldn't otherwise get that specialized, that knowledgeable, that specific care that you guys can provide because you've traveled to the, the hubs and the centers and, you know, had the experiences in all these different locations and gotten to train with, you know, guys who are the best at what they do uh, and then take all that knowledge out and, and use it in different places. It's, it's amazing. What, what you guys do is amazing and we're, we're proud and we're thrilled that you're doing it. And, and I hope we can, we can just keep growing the program bigger and bigger. Yeah, incredible impact over 40 years. I mean, if you think about, you know, you know, cumulatively how, how many patients 
each of those 200 fellows has taken care of. And, and it's not just, you know, not every, every uh, you know, patient that you treat is a success in the, you know, survival standpoint, but you have the opportunity to not only impact that patient, but their family members at the time to help them through a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you're talking about impact, it's, I mean, it, it is a multiplier. You know, so yeah. uh, definitely, you know, thankful for the for the foundation and its contributions to surgical oncology for sure. We'll keep swimming. We'll keep we'll keep swimming upstream. Uh, we live to support guys like you. So, yeah. What uh, what do you do for fun out there in El Paso? Yeah, uh, I mean, my wife and I, you know, definitely uh, try to live an active lifestyle. Um, so uh, we. Uh, you know, obviously we, we participate in, you know, charity runs and those kind of things, but we both, uh, we do CrossFit and we have our Peloton and we go, we take the, the family out for hikes and those kind of things, just try to be good examples for the boys to, to live active life. So we just, uh, when we got back from, uh, when I got back from my last deployment, we started doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu as a family. Really? Yeah. 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 So my, my wife and I are in the adult class, uh, and the boys go, you know, just before us and, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a better thing you could do for your kids or your oh, wife or, or yourself, you know, than Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but to watch kids do jiu-jitsu, it's gotta be one of the funnest things I've ever experienced in my life. It's so much fun. It's Did so you know, much fun. You know, I do jiu-jitsu, right? No, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. I, I broke my back in 2004 and, uh, I, I was doing yoga and I was like, okay, it's loosening it up, but I just wanted something a little bit more exciting. And when I was a kid, I did judo you know, when I was eight or nine, and it was basically like that kid cried, then I cried, then that kid cried, then I cried. That was my whole judo experience. <laughs> uh, so I looked it up and I found a place in Huntington and I go up and this guy clever goes, yeah, yeah, we got judo, come on in. And I was choked and they twisted my, you know, wrist and locked my arm, bent my knee, twisted my <laughs> and I'm like, I don't remember any of this from when I was eight years old, you know? <laughs> and he goes, oh no, this is the jujitsu class, jujitsu. So I'm like, okay. So I, I sort of stuck it out and I, it wasn't my goal to focus on jujitsu, but I just kept going. And that was 15 years ago. You know, what, what was 2004? Anyway, I got my black belt a couple of years ago. Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm still, I'm still just a white belt. We're all white belts. I'm still just a white belt. Trust me. I'm a, <laughs> you know, a 59 year old guy. You just, you just keep going, but it's a, uh, it, it's a great, it's like music. It's like a language. You know, you learn letters and then you can make a word and then you can make a phrase and then you can make a sentence. You know, it's, it's just uh it's a, it's a great skill. I, I'm I'm so excited that you guys are doing that. Right. Yeah, I mean for for us, it, it, I mean we really just kind of, I mean we do this kind of all the time. Whether it's um, you know, uh, each year we kind of find something that's going to take us a little bit out of our comfort zone, push us a little bit to you know. Um, you know, challenge us with a new skill, so to speak, right? Whether it's, we're all going to start taking, you know, music lessons and each of us learn an instrument. We all get to choose which instrument we want to do, those kind of things. So I spent half of 21 deployed, but, uh, but the second half, it was, when we got back, we were like, we're going to do jujitsu. And it was, I mean, you know, for my wife, you know, I mean, she's a, 
she's a, a princess, you know? Um, and so this was, you know, she was a ballerina, you know, in high school and college. Um, and uh, this is totally outside her comfort zone. She's fully addicted. I mean, she loves it. Uh, so and, uh, you know, we, we've, we've progressed to be able to do some rolling at the end of class. And, uh, you know, that push it, I mean, that pushes you to that red line faster than any workout I have ever done. Like I, I go, you go from like the RPMs go from zero to 60 in like no time and you are just smoked. Um, yeah. and it's just fascinating. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, nothing, you know, it really does put you in a, in a place of discomfort and <laughs> will make, sure. make you, you know, after a while you're like, oh, you know, this guy's like sitting on my head. I can't breathe. I've got this heavy wet material <laughs> over my face, but I'm fine. Like, I'm just going to keep sucking in little breaths of air and, you know, quarter inch my way into a better spot where I can breathe and then get my battery charged up and then wait for him to move and then take advantage. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing. great for, great for. I wish I wish my parents had put me in there when I was a kid because I don't know I'm 59 I think I was 58 or 59 when I got my black belt and so sure I got it they recognize my effort but you know I'm I don't know am I 50 percent of what I was when I was you know 30 what what am I I'm some you're only as old as you think you are no but you know it's it's a workout where your mind's engaged the entire time and I think that's better than just nine, 10. Yeah. Oh, that was the whole thing that got me going. There was just, I'm getting limber. I'm learning and I'm thinking more than I'm worried about my reps. I'm, I'm actually mm -hmm. thinking about what's happening. I love it. Yeah. And wow, amazing. Congratulations. For what a, what a move for family. Yeah. I'm I mean, amazing. More enamored with the Nelson family now. <laughs> I mean, it's great. Like confidence building for the boys. I mean, they're seven and 10. Um, and it's great for confidence building. You, you can see that they carry themselves a little differently, uh, having some, you know, self-defense knowledge. Uh, you know, my wife carries herself a little bit, you know, shoulders back a little bit more. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's been a great challenge for me. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, the biggest thing, like my, my parents didn't put me in martial arts when I was a kid either, right? But, um, but my mom did always kind of like, she always kind of fostered this uh, love of like learning, right? Just read everything you can, take all the different kind of classes you can, right? And eventually, you know, you'll find things that you're passionate about and, you know, you love and, you know, and I, I've kind of carried that. I mean, that's how I decided to go into medicine was I fell in, you know, in love with the biology classes and I had an awesome biology professor and that kind of led to the next thing and the next thing, you know, like I didn't have family that were in medicine or physicians. It was just kind of self-discovery. And so I just tried to carry that on, you know, in my adult life where it's like, we need to try new things and, you know, we may not be, you know, Mozart on the piano, but if we can, you know, do a little bit on the piano, I mean, that's just, uh, hats off to you. I think that's so cool. What a what a fun family you guys must be. I want to go on a hike with you. Come out there and hike. But you're coming to see us soon, right? What's the date yeah. on that? Oh, and uh, I think it's June fourth. June fourth, yeah. right? Well, well, you we have. I think we have we have five locations that we're doing the runs now, and you know Newport's. You know it's beautiful. 
you run right on the coast, you know, you're overlooking the Pacific Ocean. It's, it's just beautiful. So anyway, it'll be, it'll, I'll be excited to see you and the whole family then. Is everybody yes. coming? Everybody's coming. We're going to do the 5K because we got the boys. I've heard it's a tough 5K. I heard it's pretty like rocky. and well, It's just, you know, it's that the California hills on the coast are just steep. So it takes right. 5K to get on top, you know, where you can run flat. So the poor 5K is basically up and down. It's not that. Yeah. I mean, there was a choice between the 5K and the 25K. And for the 7 and 10 year old, we're like, we'll just all do the 5K. Yeah. But I, I heard, I, I heard, um that uh from from Ms. Mulder that we get to jump into the ocean at the end yeah we'll go swimming that's what i'm looking I'm forward doing to the 5k with you guys all right nice all right cool well dan thank you so much for um sharing yourself with us and for taking the time to talk to us um, we're thrilled to be able to support you uh we're proud that you're a john wayne alumni fellow we're proud of your work in the army and what you do for our country and uh just a big thank you look forward to seeing you it's my pleasure, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the John Wayne Gritcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you like what you heard, give us five stars in the Apple Podcast app and follow us on social media at John Wayne Official. Slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go.